Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week, I interview Levi Conlow, who is the founder of Electric E-Bikes. This really is one of the most incredible stories of micromobility in the last few years. Back in 2019, they were just starting out, and they started out with an e-bike that they struggled to sell. In fact, nobody really wanted to buy it. Last year, they had the most popular model of e-bike in America, shipping over 150,000 units, all while being profitable. In my view, it's stories like this that I love from micromobility, companies that have really just nailed the product market fit by focusing on the bits that people love. In this case, cost and convenience. I loved this conversation. Levi is an incredibly impressive founder who ships and also is hyper-focused on the job that the customers are trying to do. In this case, by selling e-bikes to people with RVs, direct to consumer, and really just nailing that experience. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and I'm looking forward to more conversations with Levi in the future. And with that, let's get into it. Let's go. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, Levi Conlow from Electric Bikes. How are you going today, Levi? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, look, it's a total pleasure. This is a fascinating interview. I didn't know that you guys existed until probably... Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do. I've known probably for like a year or so, but you just, you, you, it's been this uh, amazing story of you guys just hyper-focused on delivering. And then, you know, actually the person who, who put me onto you was Ryan Johnson from... Really? Yeah, from Cul-de-Sac. He was like... Oh, right on. He loves your bikes. I love Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, what they're doing down there is absolutely fascinating. So I, I'm trying to support them on, uh, however we can. But, dude, wicked cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, obviously two companies in Arizona, but it was just, yeah. But you are, the you know, one of, if not the largest e-bike menu. You have the, the, the best-selling e-bike model in the U.S. And it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, and I can't wait to dig into this. So, I mean, I think... Maybe what we'll do is is like, can you just take me through the right from, you know, you're so new, 2019, like what happened in 2019, but also maybe as well, I love this kind of story of like how how uh, how you and Robbie met and maybe we go through that part as well, because I think that's pretty cool. Well, okay. All right. So we'll, we can go a little bit further back. Seventh grade, Robbie and I, me playing video games, playing Halo 3 online. And then we learned that we were like one city away from each other. So then we decided to meet in person, but our parents had to chaperone the meetup because it's like, you met this person online. You ran, you randomly met yeah. some odd person yeah, online. Were, yeah, yeah, totally. very <laughs> suspicious about it. So it turns out he's a cool dude, uh, yeah. lifelong friendship uh, since there. Uh, I went down to Arizona for schooling. And when I was down here, I actually saw like a boosted board for the first time. And that was a moment that like changed my life. I mm. really wanted one. Uh, so I couldn't afford one. So instead I just got into electric skateboards out of my dorm room and it was semi successful, honestly, like as a 19 year old was doing a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, just selling these electric skateboards. And it was just like, awesome. The weird thing was, is like, I guess as I grew up and matured through my college experience, I only did that for about three years. I became a lot more obsessed with this idea of like replacing car miles and actually being a transportation solution. I wasn't really scratching that itch with the electric bikes or the electric skateboard. So I, I actually got a little discouraged and fell out of love of the product during that period. And then I was like, okay, what else can I do? So I actually threw away, well, not threw away, donated like the last $100,000 worth of electric skateboards just because like I physically just lost the love for it. And I wanted to rip off the bandaid and dive into something new. So, uh, and that was at 22, which was a gnarly thing for me to do. <laughs> um, and, and cause it was a lot of my savings and stuff were tied up in it and everything, but yeah. Um, and were you just importing them, like importing them from China or something and then selling them? 
Yeah. So at first it was just this OEM, like white label solution. And then we moved on to our own version with just like a couple college buddies. We used the facilities at the university to, you know, we switch over to this really new skinny battery and then this awesome new hub motor. Because before we were just ripping motors off of drones was like the original solution. So mm. made that change, but uh, it being towards the front of development uh, made things much more painful is the oddest way to describe it. It was yep. just a lot harder to nail it. And especially with such little experience uh, and such a new market, it, it was especially difficult. So yeah, it ended up, it was a, you know, I look at it as a fantastic failure and in the end because I learned so much and it gave me so much exposure and it kind of helped me find what I wanted in life and what I, what that purpose is, was going to be. And that was to like change the way people move was the obsession that came out of it. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So yeah, it, it was a really fun experience, but uh, yeah, then it's, you know, 2019, I'm trying to figure out what to do after that. And my old man was like, dude, please do e-bikes. He did not want to spend a couple of grand on one. Uh, there was this huge gap in terms of like the performance and the, even just the aesthetic and the approach. Uh, there was just a lot of opportunity there. And I just had all this experience with manufacturing and hub motor technology. So I was like, all right, fine. And, and I got to recruit someone far smarter than me because that was the challenge with my electric skateboard experience as I was you know, d wasn't all that smart in uh, engineering. So I recruited Robbie, uh, that kid I met playing video games. And it was like perfect marriage because I got to focus on, you know, the business and manufacturing and he just obsessed over product essentially. So uh, we created our first version of the, of the bike and, you know, we were so jacked about it. Like we thought we had nailed it. Uh, it was very traditional looking and actually you can, see it right there i keep that uh in the office uh as a constant reminder of one of the biggest failures of my life uh which was that product so we couldn't sell these to save our life uh mm. and it, the bad thing was is i went to my dad and i borrowed uh like forty thousand dollars which was a ton of money to my family i had just depleted all my savings into the skateboard and whatever so like uh that was like a huge thing and we have this inventory, we have the website, we're on Craigslist and everything. We could not sell these bad boys to save our lives. And that uh, applied a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, people were very vocal why they didn't like it. Uh, they were like, I want something more comfortable. I want, you know, better range. I want higher top speeds. I want- and so just, just to clarify as well, because this is predominantly audio, the the bike that you, you just showed me via in the, in the <laughs> office. No, 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 that's okay. That's okay. And the, the bike that you just showed me is a very typical, like it's a typical bike design that you had like slapped an electric motor on and you have a battery on it, but it's effectively a bike. It's a standard, it's a standard bike. Yeah. Yeah, dude, standard light time and frame, just, you yeah. know, battery right out in the center. Yeah, it was very, very traditional. And what we learned is that people did not want that. Yeah. And was that value engineered? Like, was that quite cheap, relatively speaking, or did it still ended up being, it still ended up being quite expensive? No, that one, you know, the performance spec was a lot lower, but I think we brought that thing out for like $7.99 or $6.99. You know, it was incredibly. Oh, wow. And even then you still struggled to sell it. Like that's, that's a pretty, oh, God. pretty affordable bike. Even yeah, then. What we learned was people are like, they're, they're willing to spend a couple hundred bucks if as long as they feel like they're getting that value back in the bike. And, you know, the first one was just too boring uh, mm. is the best way to put it. But, you know, people didn't want to build the bikes. They didn't want to have to get a bike rack in order to transport it or have a truck. And so, like, we wrote down, I remember this exercise, we wrote down everything that they disliked about our bikes. And then we were just like, how could we fix it? And then, they, you know, you go through the rabbit hole of, like, folding, right? You know, we need class three performance was one of the things we knew. We needed to rock a 48 volt system because we had to bump up those watt hours significantly. The original was just 36 volts. So like there were a couple objectives and, you know, by doing the folding, it allowed for no bike rack uh, or truck to transport it. Also, it took up less of a footprint and we could deliver it fully assembled, which was another pain point that, that people had expressed to us. So yeah, I... You know, came up with the XP design, uh, 
you know, kind of had one of them very grossly modified uh, and brought it back to my dad. And I asked him, how would you like to lose $10,000 more? Uh, and, and he said I had already more or less screwed up or prolonged his time to retire. So he told me to go for it. And we just got like a dozen bikes made. Uh, two of them we made, you know, like used to create our Shopify website. We literally created this all ourselves. And then the other 10, we just sent out to YouTube influencers that seemed to really resonate when we were doing all that guerrilla marketing. It seemed like the RV and active adult crowd was really interested. So then I was like, okay, let's find RV influencers and influencers that are in their 80s. And, and we were fortunate to be able to find them. And then it was like, well, we got to get some validation from the bike and tech industry. So send some out there as well. And then we can kind of just let it happen. And, you know, I, I vividly remember uh, May 30th, 2019, the the website didn't even have a bank account attached to it because we were so unsuccessful at selling bikes prior to it. Yeah. And first day, you know, $30,000 in sales within the first 21 days, we have a million dollars in pre-orders and, uh, you know, we, we were renting my buddy's garage for, and I think 300 bucks a month. And we were doing like one to $2 million per month out of his garage. And it was all pre-order. That's insane. And so talk me, talk me through that. So that, yeah, that's all on pre-orders, but like, so those were the bikes. So that was the XP model. And th- that that's XP. That was specifically designed to be folding. It was designed to be, like effectively ship in a box. You open it and it was, everything was already done. Yeah. Um, you could, yeah, you pre, pre-done. The, and a couple of things really interesting about that design. I just want to talk through the design part as well, which is like you had small, t- you went for small tires. I assume that was in part because the folding bike thing kind of made the difference. Sure. Um, and your price point was what? 800 bucks, a thousand bucks, something like that? Eight ninety nine at our original launch, yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of just, you know, it required no marketing or anything. It kind of just like blew up in virality, and you know, the sold like eight thousand bikes in the first six months, something like that. So it, it was exhilarating. But yeah, the smaller tires, you know, a lot of it is also accessibility. Yeah, and trying to, you know, fit someone that is as short as five foot, but also have, you know, the telescoping tools to fit someone that's six five, and so. You know, that's another variable for using 20 inch tires. Well, we threw on the wider tires in order to like get some of that comfort back. Yeah. And um, the the bikes themselves. So you where do you manufacture them? Yeah. So uh, manufacturing in China uh, and then sourcing parts from, you know, pretty much all the same big players like Shimano, Tektro, Welgo, LG, Samsung. Yeah. You know, all, all that. And you assemble them all in China as well and then ship them uh, like fully assembled into the US and then just sell them. So are you subject to things like the the tariffs and, and all the like the latest supply chain issues and, and things like that coming out of China? How do you navigate those? Yeah. So tariffs, you kind of just roll with the punches. Uh, mm. And, you know, you try to be a good steward. And like we're a member for, with People for Bikes, which is a fantastic organization that's constantly applying pressure for tariff relievement. And if I'm honest, uh, which isn't talked about enough, but most e-bike companies in the US over the last two and a half, three years have spent more time not paying tariffs than they have been paying tariffs. We've, we've all been exempt from having to pay tariffs. Well, so long as you meet certain stipulations, but mo- the majority of the market hasn't had to pay tariffs. And then during periods where you are, you just kind of, yeah, you you deal with it and, and ensure that your margin structure can afford that. But And then the supply chain aspect, you know, yeah, candidly, that's where our economies of scale are really awesome. So if we look at 2022, we did over 150,000 uh, units here in the US. And so when we are importing, we're booking dozens of containers at a time sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, we get prioritized. When we go to Shimano and buy parts, we get prioritized. We manufacture out of the world's largest bicycle manufacturer, right? Uh, the same names, you know, that the biggest legacy manufacturers are using is the same factory we're using. And you can only really get in the front door there if you're doing at least 100,000 units a year and you got to have an industry connection. Yeah. So like those things definitely play in our favor is, you know, we got to the right scale fast enough where we were able to be pretty numb to a lot of those challenges, I would say. 
Mm. And that uh, that obviously happened relatively quickly uh, because you started in 2019. How many bikes did you do in 2019, 2020, 2021? Oh, goodness. You know, 2019 was somewhere around 8,000 bikes, uh, mm-hmm. I would guess. Uh, 2020, probably triple that. Uh, so north of 25,000, I would say. And then 2021, uh, about 80,000-ish, somewhere around there. And then 2022, about 150,000. Yeah, amazing. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and we've got really good legs on it. So, you know, we're starting to near our 300,000 e-bike. And in terms of every milestone, we've hit every milestone in the space faster than essentially in half the time that's ever been done before. So we hit our 100,000, 250,000 bike all in really record setting speeds. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Reality was, is like we were the last to the party. Like every every name out there has been in the space for like five to to even 10 years before we even like entered into the space, which is kind of just crazy. Yeah, well, I I, I want to ask, so actually there's two things I want to ask. One, I want to ask, can you just talk through really quickly the exemptions around e-bikes? Because I think that's one area that nobody really talks about. So the- Yeah, I don't think it's popular. Like what's total BS right now, Oliver, is like people raising prices right now is like mm-hmm. absolute nonsense. We're paying less- to bring in bikes and we were 12 months ago because 12 months ago today we were actually paying a tariff we got an exemption i believe it was in march and you know th- that's the government looking at some of the products uh, in the section 301 tariffs and saying okay this is a product that that we want to help support and help be successful and it's such a new space that like let's give them some grace and so i think over the last since the tariffs first came out which was four four years ago almost mm-hmm. four and a half years ago we've received three different exemption periods uh and each exemption period is usually around nine to 12 months but yeah i, I don't think it's popular to be talked about right now because uh there's kind of this squeeze that's going on like i i saw right at the start of the year prices went up uh from some competition and component prices are lower than they've been historically, uh, and tariffs are gone, and container prices are down uh, significantly down. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's if you're raising prices, it's really easy to use the backdrop of inflationary pressures and whatever. Totally. But I would say the e-bike space specifically does not actually uh, apply to that. Yeah, fascinating. Cool. <laughs> I. Uh... Tariffs, man. I, I'll, tariffs. I'll, be, I'll I'll talk importing and all that crap. Yeah, all yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I want to go. I want to. I actually don't want to go too deep into that. I do think that's very interesting. But I but I really love uh, your model, and I think you've got a very interesting one. So you know, obviously, okay. So you, you you've gone for a folding bike initially. Like you went for folding initially with the bike, and then the bike. Like now all your models are folding as, as I understand it, except the trike. No, even the trike's folding. No, the trike's folding. Yeah. That's nuts, man. No, we're, we're not so. Yeah. <laughs> and so no, the, you want to be folding, right? If you're a DTC brand, right, you need to deliver this in an affordable way. So you need to shrink down your dimensions as much as possible. Uh, if you want to fit in the active lifestyles of whether van life or RVs, like you want it to be folding. And if I don't want to, yeah, just like burden my customer with assembly because it actually is burdensome on both sides if, if the customer has to do assembly they may not know how to build a bike so now they're calling yep. in asking how to do it where do i get a build i'm missing a part so much friction there you know we have the most efficient customer service team in the industry uh i got just over 30 people supporting nearly 300,000 bikes in circulation and when you compare that to some of my other competition their customer service teams are like upwards of 10 to 30 times the size of that and doing maybe a third or half the amount of units as us. So it's, it, it obviously makes sense and the customers like it and we like it. So yeah, everything's folding. And if we look at, you know, the light bike is under 40 pounds with the battery removed, you know, it really plays to that favor of the urban dweller. Right. But, the flagship 3.0, the industry's most popular electric bike model. And, you know, probably the next closest electric bike model is, uh, 
probably 30 to 40,000 units behind it in terms of here in the US. So it's, yeah. it, it's wicked successful. And then the X Premium is something that people can graduate onto. But yeah, we have a trike that is getting launched tomorrow, which is available for pre-order. A ton of hype and excitement on that. But then on February 21st, we also have our cargo bike coming out, which is also a, you know, it folds just at the top there, um, but also delivers. I think we're the, well, technically, no, there there are some cargo bikes over $4,000 that are delivered fully assembled. But for a trike and cargo bike, we're pretty much the only options out there that are delivered to the customer fully assembled, ready to ride. Uh, and we just view that as a core part of our business. It's my job to build bikes, not my customers. And it's not in my nature to try to upcharge them uh, assembly stuff or whatever. I, I want it to be frictionless and easy for the customer because they will exercise any reason not to switch out their car for an e-bike. So I got to get rid of as many of those reasons as possible. Totally. I hear you. That's um, that's amazing. Thank you uh, for, for also talking a little bit about that, that cargo bike. I'd love to hear a bit more about it. Like obviously the trike was, a, the, the trike was fascinating by the way, because rad power bikes comes out with a trike all right why would you tell you something honest and it's sort of like hey it's their most popular it's their most popular requested model ever finally they launch a trike you guys what is it a week later launch a trike for a thousand dollars less <laughs> okay this was really poor timing so i had been expecting to be first to market with a trike for the longest time like we yeah you know, even in my quarter four board meeting, I'm like, boys, we're, we're bringing out a trike and whatever. And boy, was I wrong. So uh, they beat it, beat us to it because we were forecasting, all right, we're going to launch it in stock in April. Seems like nobody else is working on it. And so what was, uh, when they launched theirs, you know, great team over there, ton of respect, fantastic group. Um, but when, when we saw it, we, we saw opportunities for improvement on that product that our that our trike was already delivering on. And so what we wanted to do was just let customers know, hey, this product exists, right? And we believe it's better. It has an open differential axle. It has a battery that's 40% bigger. It's two-wheel drive. And like, because all of our original prototypes were front hub motors, which really are just the worst for a trike. It's really hard to do what we did. And so like, and it had hydraulic brakes on it. And so we looked at it as like, we should at least like customers know this is coming and that it's a thousand dollars less and just leave it up to them on whether do they want to jump on the what's available in the market today or are they willing to wait, but understanding that it's not going to be delivering until April. And so, yeah, we just wanted to let people know. And I would say the response has been overwhelming for that product because it was also our most requested uh, product. So it actually like really dampened any product launch over the last uh, two, three years because every time we brought something out, it's like, hey, where's the trike? It's like, dude, I'm working on it. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to do a folding trike that's going to show up to you fully assembled. And yeah, so it's been a very long project, but we're super jacked on it. But the real exciting thing is our cargo bike. Yeah, talk me through that. That thing is wicked. So it's a long tail cargo bike and it, it is probably the most capable light electric vehicle uh, in the industry. So I love cargo bikes. I have, I don't know, probably a dozen uh, from other providers and everything. I think they're just awesome. They are one of the best solutions, period, in terms of ripping cars off the road. The efficiency of the electric uh, bicycle as a whole is so much better than electric car uh, or cars just in general that like, when you look at the capabilities, it's like, I want to go all in on this space and really help uh, develop it. So I'll just give you some, you know, highlights of it. So it's our first time doing a 750 watt continuous rated motor, but it peaks out at over 1300 watts and it, it's not afraid to run there and stay there for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason we felt that was necessary is we want uh, the, the anxiety or the excuses to not have a bike be a replacement to be completely eliminated. So you're in San Francisco or Seattle and you say the hills are too big. That does not uh, relate to this product. We spent two weeks in San Francisco and Santa Cruz, California, trying to find a single hill. It couldn't go up. And like, I'll be honest, even my own 3.0s, which, you know, 
newton meters of torque is 55 mm -hmm. uh couldn't make it up some of those hills but like we did it up alba road which is a 3.2 mile stretch uh with 350 pounds on it by the way throttle only no pedaling we took it up russian hill uh which i believe was the one that peaked out at a 32 percent grade so mm. there is we took it against the biggest steepest hills and was like let's push ourselves to it so that kind of eliminates the reason of like oh i i my area is too hilly that's not working for me next excuse is like oh well once i throw my spouse on it like we're over 330 or 350 pounds or something or i mm -hmm. put two of my kids on the back so like that load carrying capabilities is a huge gripe uh in the cargo space because there's cargo bikes but yet one person can weigh the amount so ours is fully rated uh at 450 pounds but that means we tested it to the din standard so it was tested at 675 pounds uh so it's just like it, it can carry all this weight and we did here's a wicked story okay well so let me let me get that. so it can carry a ton of weight it can put two three kids on the back or whatever but take this bad boy real world range test so it can go up the hills and it can um carry a ton of weight you need a really big battery uh paired with it so it's available in two options uh, a single 14 amp hour battery or a dual 14 amp hour 48 volt battery mm -hmm. uh and for the real range test pacific coast highway throughout only 20 miles per hour 450 pounds on it it went 58 miles right just sitting there throttle only with 450 pounds just stupid right no that is the most extreme so that's the new floor of the range on this thing we actually did a range test of someone sitting throttle only going about 17 miles per hour non-stop uh, i think he was 170 pounds he went over 100 miles without charging so it's just like massive massive range so the range anxiety thing has completely been eliminated and like w when you think of it and it's a class three cargo bike uh which mm. not all cargo bikes go it's like this is we've essentially found the ceiling of what is a cargo bike you know class three cargo e-bike capable of doing carrying mm -hmm. 450 pounds goes up any hill you throw at it goes over 100 miles throttle only it, it is truly because like a 1.35 kilowatt hour battery equivalent it's stupid like it, it's just this thing is it is really my most proud and uh you know inspired product ever just because we were the last of the party for the cargo space but we were able to master it anyways i i truly believe that it can outperform any cargo bike under four thousand dollars just in terms of sheer capability what it can go up what it can carry how far it can go just and i i love bosch systems i love shimano I tons of respect there, but if we're talking pure capability, mm -hmm. that is second to none, and uh, for at least long tail, I, I I love front loaders also. I think those are safe, yeah. but uh, yeah. it can outperform everyone. And the single battery is being priced at thirteen ninety nine, and the and the dual battery, you know, one point three five kilowatt hour battery is priced at sixteen ninety nine. It's paired with hydraulic brakes. That is insane. <laughs> It is insane. Well, and how uh, how can you get there without making? So I want to understand that a bit. Like, how do you make that? I'll give you the most brutal, honest. Yeah, yeah, go you. for it. Yeah, throw the marketing budget out the out the window. Our, our, the amount we spend on customer acquisition costs is significantly lower than everybody else. Yeah, we kind of just like pour a ton of money into the product and then just like bet on the product and the customer. Like as long as like and my philosophy is you don't lose if you take exceptional care of your customer and deliver them a sick product they're going to go out and sell your bike for you right mm -hmm. it's oh always i mean it's like the tesla model and it works it, it does work yeah. like i i ended up buying a tesla on the back of another person who i knew who had one who's like test drive this thing i was like this is amazing dude same here like, totally i get that 45 percent of our customers are word of mouth yeah yeah and that's amazing but you know, so what what are the trade-offs that you're making if you have to do a fourteen hundred or a seventeen hundred dollar bike that everybody else in the market is selling for two, four, between two and four grand? Like, wh where is the where can you save money that they don't? Well, D to C first and foremost, like yeah. being direct to consumer, 
that that makes up for sometimes 40 to 60 percent cost of a bike so right and and anybody that says otherwise is yes it is simply 40 to 60 percent out of the dealer but if we just look at direct to consumer our economies of scale are bigger like we we create this platform this xp platform and you're going to see a lot of shared parts between the xp trike you know the expedition is our cargo bike and mm-hmm. then the 3.0 and the light we try to keep a lot of shared parts and so our buying power in terms of some of those trees is the largest in the industry i get some competitors maybe doing more individual units but they have 10 or 12 different models we have one core platform that we've just kind of been building around so significant savings there we're also a lot more stingy my team is extremely calculated on any product we we embark on so uh, i can list off several examples of my competitors being really loose with their dimensions and being loose with the dimensions, for example, can add a fifty to sixty dollar FedEx surcharge, and that surcharge may increase the cost of the customer by a hundred bucks. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you mean it, in the it, sense of just not having standardized product box sizes, for example? Yeah, yeah, and like that's amount fit in a container. So like, we are the, and we've spoken to our manufacturers about this. You know, this is the largest bicycle manufacturer in the world, and they said they've never met a team more dialed in. On like box dimensions and everything like we that is how we deliver is extremely focused so I, i'd say that's another way but it's really like the you know the elimination of some costs through the overall operation like my team is just over 100 people and it's just you know if you if you have a 500 or a thousand person team those salaries are flowing either up to the you know, customers MSRP or to the bottom line. And we're just, we have very high standards for how we run and operate this business. And so that hundred includes the 30 customer service team. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yep. then, so how big is your, like, for example, how big would your, your development team be? Like your R&D team? Uh, yeah. Right now, I think we're at six people and we just go project to project, just like blitz, just hyper-focus. And yeah, we kind of grabbed them all from the bike industry recently and we grew that team significantly from just robbie uh, over the last 12 months yeah yeah amazing yeah and then the other part as well like so one of the things that i noticed is some of your some of your your cheaper bikes still have mechanical brakes for example and i'm just curious about the like the the calculation because I've, I've talked to a number of people in the industry and one thing that they say is like oh these d2c brands they come they waltz in here and they've got mechanical they've got like cheap components and it's you know it's dangerous and that that's their perspective that's their perception and i'm sure. curious like how you've made how you think through that calculation for yourself yeah well a lot of it is by using like iso and cpsc uh guidance and standardization and then sending them in to iso testing facilities um uh, a lot of it though is what's the use case of the product like if we look at the light bike for example it only needs it's a 45 pound e-bike right it's not that heavy of an e-bike and yeah it needs 165 millimeter uh, mechanical disc brakes the 3.0 a little bit heavier about 18 pounds heavier that needs uh, 180 millimeter uh, mechanical disc brakes but a lot of it is just like sending it in and then doing the testing and just going from there, you know, the, the X premium is our heaviest product we've done, uh, that has hydraulic brakes, 180 millimeter hydraulic brakes. The trike is rated to carry 415 pounds. You got to have hydraulic brakes. If you're going to be able to say it can go up really steep hills and, and carry that much weight, it's got to be hydraulic. Same for the cargo bike. So a lot of it is just using good judgment and then getting a uh, reassurance from, you know, the the standards and, and those governing this marketplace. Yeah, it, it's, they can be incredibly helpful. Do you think that there are like, because one of the things I think, you know, we are seeing is we, we don't have the equivalent of like an TSA, what is it, NHT say? NHTSA? NHTSA, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, you, you, there is no equivalent of NHTSA as far as I understand for e-bikes, right? Like there's no yet. and and I think it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. I think it's coming too. And I, I'm curious for you, you know, like the the sta- on the standard side of things, like, yes, you use ISO and all that sort of stuff. But like, 
in some ways there is there are there are there isn't like super well laid out standards around how e-bikes should be or should function or sure yeah so i mean i, I look i get it i mean you obviously it, it, it it's a model that works right which is like people look at them and you people are going to go buy bike buy the bikes that make the most sense to them it's just how do you make sure that like you know at the end of the day are you I, I take it you sleep comfortably at night knowing that you you know that you're selling safe products yeah, I think, you know, we're we're working with some of the biggest, most legacy suppliers out there just as much, right? So they don't want anything to happen. Our, you know, our in-house quality control team is 20 people. And of that, you know, they're conducting a 65-point uh, inspection. So it's like, it's very thorough. Uh, and a thing to note is this technology isn't as new as what many others think. We're already... The e-bike space is already creating over 40 million units a year, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of data to be, you know, using. And honestly, I, I think when in doubt, just look at an existing standard. So although there's not these ex- standards here in the U.S., you can look at ISO and EN for guidance on it. But I, I think it's going to get buttoned up here in, in due time. And we just... We're trying to be leading the industry. We haven't experienced any recalls or or any crud like that because we're we're very proactive with our design and everything. Our our COO was formerly the CEO of Schwinn Cannondale, and you know the biggest he's you know a titan in the space. So you know a very well informed uh, legacy team over here. Although you know my co founder and I are, are on the younger side. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't realize that that your that your CEO was the ex CEO Schwinn. That's um, that's it's fascinating. You don't have that on your website, but uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, he he likes to operate in the shadows. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Hey, well, look for you. Obviously, you've got you've been growing very quickly, but I'm actually curious about for you. Like, you've got the goal, as you say, of getting as many people out of cars as possible. Like, what do you, what do you see as the big, biggest constraints to growth for for you and what you're building? Well. Like constraints is something we haven't been that exposed to because the reality is, is we're almost at 300,000 e-bikes in under four years. So like we've been pretty numb to it. I think the early days of electric was just scaling and just getting uh, the uh, the manufacturing process and the sourcing process in place back in 2019, 2020. But now where we are, you know, we're really capable of continuing to scale up. What we have to do is just have more solutions. You know, stay true to our idea of being a really narrow skew count. Don't overextend ourselves. But yeah, we need a trike. We need a cargo bike. We need to be curious about some of these other ways people are getting around and other solutions and, and continue to investigate other opportunities for product expansion. 98% of all my sales are in the US. I have no real distribution set up over in you know, the, in Canada or the EU or where you're at, right? So there, there's some, there's some work to be done there and major, major priority. So yeah, I, I, I feel very excited about every day just because I'm so bullish on this space and so bullish on, on electric in particular, you know, it, an interesting thing that has grasped the headlines and maybe caused some downer attitudes on, on this space is just, some of the struggles other people in the space have been having. And, you know, at the end of the day, the e-bike space is continuing to grow, continuing mm-hmm. to grow in 2022 compared to 2021, you know, electric over doubled in 21 uh, or 22. So the the industry, my belief, it still has to get, you know, eight to 10 X over the next, you know, hopefully by the end of the decade to reach the penetration rate of electric bicycles to the bicycle market compared to Europe. And the industry is going to get there regardless. You know, the product itself, the transportation and, and the freedom it delivers is so game changing that it's going to get there with or without whatever brands are here. And, you know, it's my job and Lecture's job to ensure that we're in a really strong position to be along for that ride because I'm, I'm very excited about it. So I, I think some more attention needs to be shot on just the excitement and continued growth of this space. 
one of the things that I'm I'm really curious about, so like Mike Radenbar, you know, is stepping out of the CEO position and is like deciding to focus more on advocacy specifically around e-bikes and the opportunity that it exists in terms of being able to reduce emissions and help cities build better, you know, build better cities, all that sort of stuff. Curious, like strikes me that you are of that ilk, but you're not, um, you know, that is certainly not what you are out there talking about um, publicly. You know, like I know that you, I know that you might th- think these things. I'm kind of curious. You know, do you see it as a responsibility, or is it an area that you might be looking at for being able to lead from a thought leadership perspective in that space? No, I I sat down um, my private equity group, and I actually do this probably every four months. I sit them down and I say, the moment this job outgrows me. You know, you you sit me down and put me in a different visionary role or whatever BS. But like the reality is, is my job is to be so good at what I do that they're never put in that position. Uh, so I obsess and study this market probably better than anybody else in the world. Just in terms of the data, I comb over import records, inventory levels of competition. I consume any data point I possibly can, which allows my instincts to be incredibly accurate. Uh and, you know, from day one, this company has been profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we've been told and provided guidance from uh, some people out there that this is the most profitable micro mobility company in the world. So it's just we've been focused on running a good business. Right. And, and we've got the right partners to help do that with us. And, yeah, it's just as long as we stay true to our moral compass of you know, providing exceptional value to the customer, a product that's just super sick and exceptional customer experience, we're not going to lose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can't steer away from that ever. And we've just been very mindful with the, you know, the people we've surrounded ourselves with and the decisions we've made. I just have a very high standard that in order for us to, you know, run this company for, you know, the next millennia, it needs to be a sound business not during certain phases or whatever foundationally it needs to be sound all the way through i love the uh the flex of hey we're a profitable business because i think I, when you were talking with james at micromobility world you uh <laughs> you made the joke that you didn't know that you couldn't make a non-profitable business you know talk me through that part because i think there's a lot of the industry right like if you look at the amount of money that cowboys raised and rads raised and, and uh you know van moof have raised there's obviously a lot that I have to go and pay that back with. Talk me through the the part of your business. We've talked about the model and why you think the model is better and where you can cut the costs and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, it's a profitable business. You have taken on outside capital. So like, just talk me through that part of it. You, you focus on profitability. Can you give me any numbers around that at all? No, no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, hyper profitable. And we're not, you know, the legacy bicycle model standards of profitability either we keep the standard of what does a good d to c company have for those levels uh with still being extremely fair to our customers and good stewards to them so that's been the methodology since day one reality was is back in 2020 demand was so far outpacing the ability that we could keep recycling all of the profits to keep buying more bikes that we just needed some help there. And also we just needed some more experience and team members on the board. So, so we got virtual capital based on the Bay Area, probably uh, of all PE firms, uh, the most talented direct-to-consumer one. They, they just specialized in it where Paula's Choice and Solo Brand, some of these biggest D2C companies ever were born out of them and their their uh, team. So yeah, we we wanted someone that could really be a true value add to electric and they've just been the, the perfect partner for us. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, one of the things that uh, I've really kind of come around to is that I think PE is a better capital fit for uh, micromobility. Hard goods for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Rather than, you know, VC, just because VC typically. There can be a misalignment. Totally. In terms of growth and like what makes a, a good business, right? The PE is much more prioritized on good business, longer term success and market dominance rather than grow, grow, grow. And let's try to pass this on to the next person quick. But yeah, it's it's harder, I would say, being backed by private equity because there's just certain standards and 
the way you do business and how it's run, but it makes for a better business. But I'm, yeah, that's definitely a core belief. If I want electric to be around for the long term, I just got to find partners that are aligned with us. And yeah, that can help when, when they can add value as well. Yeah, yeah, completely. You know, do you have any reflections on the rest of the the industry as to why VC one has found this space attractive and the fact I think it's really easy to get VC money. Uh is the most honest answer ever. It is really easy for you to go raise money from a VC at a ridiculous valuation or something and a ton of capital, but the capital may be structured in a lot of tranches or just structure where it actually really hurts the company long-term and just knowing from the space and looking at a lot of the deals firsthand that have been done and the companies that are available. Yeah, it has definitely been a hardship. And I think private equity, there's this expectation. You got to be profitable. You just, you're not, you're not even going to get in the door if you're not. Mm. Uh, And they're going to value you on certain multiples against your EBITDA. And it's just this more rigorous standard, standardized process. But I don't know, with great opposition, it challenges you to be a better company. And that's why we're so laser focused on some of the costs of our company and being really mindful of not getting bloated, right? A lot of people view headcount as a way to show growth. Well, that's stupid, right? Let's Hmm. focus on efficiency. You know, just because you have a couple hundred million dollars on the balance sheet, there is pressure for you to put that money to work. And it can lead some to some really unfortunate situations, which what we're seeing right now, not just in the micro mobility space, but in the total heavily VC funded tech space is uh, these rounds of layoffs. You know, people mm. are just being, you know, let go because they got reckless and bloated and, and they need to right size the business. I hate the word and the idea of right-sizing a business because why weren't you just fundamentally that way? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think the uh, the counter to that is, well, like I hear you about it being easy. I think that as well, VCs can see the size of the industry, right? They can see the size of the potential of what micromobility will grow to. And I think that, you know, for them, it's like, well, that makes sense. We want to have exposure to that. You think about like, why why was shared micromobility? Like, why was there so much money plowed into it? It was like, well, the unit economics yeah. were really good. And in theory, you could scale it. You just actually turns out you couldn't scale it that much because cities are like, wow, yeah. Thank you very much. Five-year permits. <laughs> this is how many scooters you can have. This is why I think in general, like owned is super interesting is because it allows you, you know, you have no constraints uh, in, right. in, in that way on, on growth. But the, the, the one part that kind of challenges that is the, you know, like once you've sold a vehicle, you know, how do you, how do you then retain and, and do any sort of, you end up as just like a vehicle manufacturer, right? And, and that is itself interesting, but it's not a, it's not super compelling to a VC as like, oh, it's like, you've got this ongoing revenue model with the customer or anything like that. It's like, no, no, you're just building a really good business that sells bikes or sells vehicles. Yeah. I think brand is king at the end of the day, you know, brand is king where you can get rid. I think if it's a more risky business or brand, you know, they need to fall back on some things like that. But for us, 40% of all orders are from returning customers. So like, we're just, we're rocking with that. It, mm. it just, it makes total sense. So. Yeah. Fascinating. Hey, I, oh, oh, there's one thing I, I want to really quickly follow up on because I'm, I'm conscious of your time, but is, is that, you know, D2C, I think, uh, in particular, your D2C model, I think, is also very fascinating as well because it allows you to do things that are very different. Like, I was just, we were mentioning this right at the beginning of the call uh, when you and I hopped on, but it, like, you're doing sponsorship with Mr. Beast of an orphanage in in, uh, in Africa. That's one of the kind of like routes to market. Can you talk me through how you've thought about the marketing side of the business or like what your model like enables you to do relative different to like no other bike company I know is doing this sort of stuff? Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, Jimmy, Mr. Beast, that was more part of our philanthropic extension. I, you know, Electric over the last 12 months has probably closed, deployed close to a million dollars towards philanthropic efforts. And that's just one of the ones we did. I reached out to Jimmy's team six months ago just because I, I really like his methodology of giving because I think it inspires the next generation. 
And so I want electric to help empower that because I think we should be glorifying and, and, you know, the people that are doing good in the world rather than just buying a bunch of sick cars or whatever. So that was just a project that I personally, I'll be visiting the orphanage in April, but that's, it's less of a sponsorship and more of a partnership where I, I really wanted to take that project on it. It's one of the core philanthropic things that I like to spend my time on. Um, but in terms of YouTube influencers and everything, yeah, we're we're probably the biggest in the space uh, with that. We have a team solely dedicated to just uh, influencers. You know, the reality is, is we just want the bikes to get out there and get talked about. And I'm so confident in the bike that we just let the rest fall into place. Our original launch, you know, we didn't spend really any additional money on marketing for well over a year after our launch outside of just sending bikes out because the bike speaks for itself. Yeah. And it was really hard to convince people that in, at launch an 899 e-bike is something that's so awesome. But now we have some of the industry's loudest saying that our light bike, which is priced at 799 is like a total game changer and just like the most fun e-bike, you know, it helps transport them back to their youth. And like with me saying that, that's one thing, but like when the industry voices are putting the bikes to the test and like experiencing the same thing, it kind of all just falls into place. So I view it as the most valuable form of marketing. It's definitely about our most successful. Uh, and it's just like, let the bikes speak for themselves because reviewers will make or break you and, and they can expose you if you're, if you're falling short, which you know, we've seen with a number of e-bike brands happen already. So yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Hey Levi, this has been uh, this has been totally fascinating. Like you're uh, <laughs> you're a force of nature, man. It's, <laughs> well, it's it's uh, you know like I just hats off to you because I think one of the things that I you know I've learned about this industry as, as time has gone on is oftentimes the the folks who are the quiet ones are the most interesting. You know, the there's a Sanjay Destore who who was the founder of Boosted Boards. And I chat every so often and, and uh, I sort of said to him, like, what do you think is the most interesting stuff in micro? And he said, it's the brands you don't hear about that are just sitting there making money because they're the ones who, <laughs> you know, it's like everybody else is out there, everybody else out, out there kind of like championing stuff and, and, and making lots of noise and, and that sort of thing. But actually, this the, the industry will win in the long term, I think, uh, from brands like yours, you know, just who, who just yeah. keep at it. We're, we're here for the long time. Right. And, and we want to be here with the industry and sure we support it in a positive uh, and, and attainable growth fashion uh, and just be really good stewards of this space because, you know, gosh, we, we cannot afford failure in this space. And I'm here to challenge the market and try to drive everybody's prices down. I think my cargo bike is the single most affordable cargo bike in the industry by a significant margin. And it outperforms everybody else. And like, why do I do it? It's because I'm looking for a response. Like I want people to respond and come out with their own cargo bikes at a much more affordable rate. Like let's, let's get people out of their cars, more butts on bikes. Let's, we can, we have the tools already to change the way people move. So like, let's just do it. Yeah. Beauty. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. I can't wait to come see you. I'm going to come up and see you in Arizona. Uh, really looking forward to it. At some point, we'll work it out. Right on. But yeah, look, if folks want to track you down, I take it it's just electricbikes.com. Electricebikes.com. Yeah. Are you are you on uh, are you on Twitter or any of the social media stuff? No, not me. Like technically, but it's like for my friends and family. So yeah, I, okay. I like to operate that way. Beauty. Okay, all good. Cool, thanks, man. Not at all. Speak with your products, my man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day here. Yeah, same with you. Thank you. Yes, peace out.